Good morning, church. Man, what a great time of singing this morning, wasn't that? Like the Lord meeting us in that. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73. Now, while I'm talking, I was just so encouraged. Uh, you know, God just speaks through his people, and I loved the words that were coming out up front, and people were just sharing, and uh, it was so encouraging to me at first service uh, we had uh, a word that was shared as well that had to do with a couple things, but one of them was about being distracted from the Lord. That was one of the things I talked about. And then here in coming to the second service, and we have another word from God about distraction. And I just see the same spirit speaking to the church, and he knows our weakness that we have to meet in two services right now. And he's like, it's all right, I got both covered. Like, I'm taking care of you guys. I'm gonna speak to you and minister to you. And so I'm... So encouraged by God's presence in our midst this morning, and we're looking at Psalm 73 today, which is all about the presence of God. Uh, It's all about the nearness of God. In fact, that's the title of this sermon today, The Nearness of God is My Good. And um, I felt led by the Lord to to share with you something about this that I didn't share with first service, so uh, you all have the ministry now to go and take this to first service, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you something about uh, why I'm preaching on this message today, why this text, and it comes out of my own life um, because I'm such an idiot and I needed this word earlier this week, and so I'm going to tell you that story. Um, I, many of you know, I was on a retreat um, and I went to a class the last couple weeks. I've been busy and I've been meeting with, with God's people and it's been good and I've been, I was getting to meet with some missionaries around the world and just these people that are just on fire for the Lord and I came back hungry for God and I came back, you know, like wanting to plow into my devotional life and, you know, get better time in the word and get up earlier and be in the presence of God and so I just came back so hungry for the Lord and so I got back this past weekend and um, it's Monday night, right? So fast forward Monday night, and I'm thinking, okay, Tuesday morning, I'm gonna get up early. I'm gonna have such this long, good time with the Lord. I'm gonna go to bed well rested. And and uh, and so I lay down to go to bed, and as is my habit before I go to bed, I, I read a book before I go to bed to help me calm down and go to sleep. And so I'm reading Frankenstein right now. It's like the stuff of dreams, right? <laughs> So I'm reading Frankenstein, and, um, and I've been reading this for a while, and, I, and I'm, to be honest with you, I'm ready for the book to be over. And so uh, I'm like, I just start reading, I'm like, okay, I'm getting close to the end. I'm just going to get this, I'm going to nail this thing, I'm going to get this done tonight, right? And so like, it's getting later, and I'm still reading, and, uh, and there's this still small voice that's saying, you need to go to bed so you can get up early. And I'm, but it's like I, I hear, but I don't hear. You know what I mean? I hear it, but I'm like, I, but I'm so intent. I'm just going to get through this. I'm going to get this done. And like Jenny's going to bed, and I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this done. And so you know when you get so tired that like you're nodding? And so I'm like, I'm going to go get some chips so I can munch to keep me awake so I can finish this book. So I get some chips, and I'm, you know, Jenny's out, I'm munching, I'm trying to read Frankenstein and the monster and all this stuff, and I'm doing that, like, head thing, and I, but I'm still trying to eat the chips. And t- Two hours later, I wake up. Light's still on, books, you know, laying down, and I have chips all, like, chip crumbs all, like, all over me. <laughs> Like, I must have been sitting there, you know, like, and chips was just like, what? And 
And so then, you know, like I'm only half awake and I'm like trying to get the chips off me. Well, I'm just getting them into my bed, right? Then I'm like, oh, I gotta get up and I gotta get this off my bed now. And, you know, so, and I didn't finish the book and so I turn off the light and I fall back asleep and then I wake up the next morning, my alarm goes off and it's like way too early. It's not actually, but it it feels too early now because I was up too late. And you ever had that? I'm just like, what in the world happened to me last night? Like, I went to bed with such good intentions, and is that not an illustration of, like, the mess that my life is really in? Like, I wake up two hours later, I passed out munching on chips, and I've got chips everywhere, and my life is just a mess. And I'm just like, Lord, I don't even know what to do, Lord. I just wanted to be in your presence, but then, like, Frankenstein took over, and I'm Frankenstein. I think I'm a monster, Lord. What is happening? And so I opened God's word and, and I happened to be at Psalm 73 this morning and I'm just in that morning and I'm just reading it and it was ministering to my soul because here's a man who says like, I am stumbling, I'm nearly fallen, but he comes into the presence of the Lord and he finds, man, this is all I wanted. This is what I need. And that's what I needed that morning. You know, This whole book is all about the presence of God. From beginning to end, it is about us being near to the Lord. And that's really what we need more than anything else. I mean, you can just tick through scripture. It's Adam in the garden, and before the fall, what's he doing? He's walking with God in the cool of the day, walking in the presence of the Lord. Fast forward, and it's Enoch who walks with God until he was no more. He just walked with the Lord, and the Lord said, you're such a great conversationalist, I'm bringing you on up here with me, because I want to hang out with you. Then you go to Abraham, who is not only the father of our faith, but he was a friend of God, the scripture says. I mean, just the Lord just liked to hang out. It wasn't that he made God his friend, it was that he was God's friend. God just wanted to be with him. You go to Moses, and Moses was, you know, at the burning bush in the presence of the Lord, and and he hears, you know, take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. You are in God's presence. And you got Moses going up onto the mountain to be in the presence of the Lord, and the glory of God is in the thunder and in the lightning and the presence of God there, and he makes his goodness pass before him. Or you may remember after the golden calf uh, in Exodus 34, um, you know, Israel's rebelled against God. They've turned to another God and, and God actually comes to Moses. This is a great passage to look at. He comes to Moses and he says, okay, listen, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. It's a land full of, with milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey. Now, but here's the deal. I'm not going with you because if I go with you, I will consume you. I'm angry. And Moses says, he said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. God, I don't care how good that land is. If you're not going with me, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. I mean, isn't that like a really challenging thought for all of us, wherever we are right now? I mean, would you rather be in the wilderness with God near you instead of the land flowing with milk and honey without God. I kind of think about that um, as similar to how I feel about my wife. Like I, I would rather be in Akron with Jenny than in Hawaii by myself, right? You know what I mean? Like nothing against Akron, but she makes Akron worth it. 
Maybe a little bit against Akron. Uh, I, I like beaches. But <clears throat> that aside, I mean, but she would make anywhere worth it. I could live anywhere if I'm with my wife as opposed to living anywhere without her. And it's kind of like that with the Lord, I think. Like, I mean, if you could have trials, if you had to have trials, hardships, suffering, but you got God's nearness, or you could have health, wealth, comfort, but God's not near. And I know what we, we, we know what we should say, but how did you live this last week? Right? I mean, it's the presence of God is what it's all about, but we just lose that. We just, we just lose that that's what we were made for. I think about Psalm 27, you know, David, this is how he prays. He says, there's one thing I ask of you, Lord, just one thing. If you could give me anything in the world, here's the one thing I want, God. I want to dwell in your house forever. I just want to be with you where you are. That's it. That's all I want, God. And then you get into the New Testament and you get John 15 that was shared this morning by Michael. You know, Jesus says, hey, you want to know the secret to a relationship with me? You want to know what it's all about? Dwell with me. Abide in me. That's what it's all about. You can do nothing without me. But if you abide in me, you can be fruitful. He says, abide in my word. Abide in my love. He even says, I'm sending the spirit, the paraclete, the helper to help you abide in me because that's what it's all about. And you get to Paul in Philippians and he says, man, for, for me to live is Christ. I just want Jesus. And then to die, well, that's gain because I get more of Jesus. Or chapter three, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I mean, Paul just got it. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. He says, Jesus is the best thing in this life. And he says, Jesus is the best thing in the life to come. And that's what it's all about. I mean, the garden was great because God was there in his presence. And heaven is great because God is there in his presence. That's what it's all about. From beginning to end, this book is all about the presence of God. Revelation 21, New Jerusalem comes down to be on earth, the new heavens and the new earth, and a loud voice comes to the throne and says, the dwelling place with God is with man now. Now he's with us in full. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. It's all about, this is, this book and all, the Christian life, it's just about the presence of God. And yet, it's just so easy for us to make it about so many other things. Right? I mean, do, do you feel that? I mean, are you like the Frankenstein reading, chip munching person too, or is it just me? Like, I just get so distracted by so many other things, and, and I make the Christian life just so much flatter than it is. It's so much less than it's supposed to be. And it reminds me of, of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, right? I mean, we just, we live here, don't we? We are just like Martha. Mary, Jesus is in their house. Mary's sitting at his feet. She's in his presence. She's where we were earlier. You know, I bow down. At you. And she's there. She's there at Jesus' feet. And what's Martha doing? Martha's busy and around, right? Like she's just doing this, serving this, serving. And she do anything bad? 
I mean, not, I mean, not at the face of it, right? She's being a good hostess. Jesus, you said, serve others before you serve myself. And so I'm trying to serve other people. She's doing good things, right? Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Just one thing. One thing. What Mary chose. To be in my presence. He says there's one thing necessary. He says there's one great commandment. There's one great commandment. Love the Lord your God. All your heart all your strength and all your mind, all your soul. One thing necessary. One great commandment. So I realize, you know, some of you are coming in here today and, man, you are like me with your chips at night. And you're, I mean, you just, you like, you want good things with the Lord, but, you know, things aren't what you want it to be either. I think this word is for you. The Lord wants to bring you into his presence. And those of you here today, man, you are struggling. You're in so much pain. And like you are, you're like, Lord, I am here. I need relief. I need help. Or you're struggling with a sin and you feel like, man, I am so stuck in this. I'm so enslaved. I don't know how to get out of this. Like, I want to, but I don't know how to. I feel so stuck. I think for for both those, suffering or sinning, I'm telling you, this passage is for you. Because it's God's nearness that restores your soul. And it's God's nearness that brings you freedom. So wherever you are, man, this passage is for us. God wants to bring us into his presence. And he wants to walk with us through this life. And so as we work through this passage, I just invite you to prayerfully read this passage with me and follow along. And then we're just going to work through it because God's bringing us in. So let's go through Psalm 73 here. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. 
And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day the long, or for the for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your words. May the Lord bless the preaching and the believing of his word now. Listen, we want to work through this passage in just two very simple ways. I just want to first walk you back through it, just kind of verse by verse. We're going to look at it, make sure we understand it, we see what's going on here. And then the second thing I want to do is just draw out some lessons uh, that I think the Lord wants us to focus on from this passage. So first step is just walking back through this psalm. So Bible's open, take a look at it with me. This passage opens, verse one, with this declaration. He says, truly God is good to me, or to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So um, this is a creedal statement. This is a statement of faith. That, that word truly signals it. This is what I really believe, he's saying. This is my statement of faith. God is good to Israel, and, uh, and then he tells us who the real Israel is. He's not talking nationalistically. He's talking spiritually. He's saying it's those who are pure in heart. So God is good to his people. And then let me just draw your attention down to verse 28, the last verse in this psalm, because the goodness of God appears again. It bookends this psalm. So in verse 28, we read, but for me, it is good to be near God. Or, or I like how the NASB translates this verse better. I have it written in my, my margin over here. Um, the nearness of God. This is where I got the, the title. The nearness of God is my good. So I, I love this here. We see this bookending of the goodness of God on this psalm. He begins with the declaration, God is good. But then by the end, he said, well, let me tell you where God's goodness is seen. Let me tell you where you're going to experience his goodness. It's in his nearness. It's in his presence. 
That's the the journey we're on from beginning to end here. Back towards the beginning, though, um, Asaph, the author of this psalm, he opens with this confession of faith in verse 1, but then in verses 2 and 3, he makes a confession of sin. Because from statement of faith to confession of sin, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph is saying, I know God's good, but man, I almost blew it. I almost fell away because I looked at someone else's life and I envied what they had. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I I wanted it. I wanted their health, their wealth, their security, their comfort, their nice car, their big house, their better office, their cooler clothes, their sleek bodies, their amazing vacations. I saw it and I thought, man, I need to have that. And this is just worth pausing on here, guys. Do you realize how persuasive envy is in this world? I mean, I should say it differently. Do you realize how persuasive envy is in our hearts? And it's everywhere. It's fueling so much of our disconnect from God. I mean, just think back to Adam and Eve, right, in the garden. I mean, they had it perfect. I mean, talk about heaven on earth. I mean, they had everything they could want, perfect garden. They got to run around naked all day. I mean, they had like a great life. God walking with them. And still in their heart, they could envy something they didn't have. They wanted to be like God. Envy is looking at what you don't have and thinking, I need that to be happy. In fact, let me help you dissect the heart and how it works a little bit here. At the top layer of envy, what it is, is it's looking at something and saying, ma'am, if I could have that, I'd be happy. That would satisfy me. It's something you don't have, you wish you did have, because if you had that, it would make you happy. Let's go a layer deeper. You know what's underneath that? This is, the, this is what's motivating your heart, but you don't think this actively. But what's really in your heart is you're saying, God, you're holding out on me. God, you're holding back, and I doubt your goodness toward me. That's the motor that drives envy. It's a challenge to God's goodness. So here he is. He he has envy in his heart. And he gets... I really appreciate his honesty. He gets so specific in verses 4 through 12. He just he lists out very specifically his complaint. He says, man, I, I envy their beautiful people. Their lives are easy. They get away with murder. They get all of these perks in life. And then verse 10 is, verse 10 is kind of hard to, uh, to understand, but basically he's saying they have all of this. They're big jerks. They oppress people, and yet everyone looks at them, and they're still impressed with them. Even though they oppress other people, somehow they're still worshipped. 
They're still adored. I mean, we, we see the exact same thing happen now, right? With politicians and famous people and all. I mean, it's just, it's like they're so selfish. They're so self-absorbed. We see it and, and we see how they oppress people or they bully people or they, they swallow all this horrible philosophy and espouse it, all that stuff. I, and we still, but man, they are beautiful. But man, they, I mean, they are powerful. Wow. But man, but they got some good thoughts there. And somehow they're worshiped. And so he says in verse 13, he says, man, it is vain for me to try to be godly. I mean, what is the point? They're getting away with murder. They get away with murder. And then he says in verse 14, what verse 14? They get away with murder. I'm rebuked every morning. They get away with murder, and I am convicted every single morning about how stinking sinful I am. They get away with murder. All I do is stay up late reading a book, and I feel bad about it. I mean, it's vain. This is just driving me crazy, he's saying. It's wearing me out, and when I try to understand it, it wears me out in it even more until, he says in verse 17, and this is the great turning point in the psalm, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then everything changed. The lights came on for him. And so we need to understand what he's talking about when he's talking about the sanctuary of God here. Um, I've heard this preached before that, you know, he came into corporate worship. And so it's something about corporate worship. Or I've, I've heard it said, you know, something about coming into worship. Like there's some, you know, it's kind of like, it's like there's something magical that happens when we, you know, holy ground in the church. You know, I have to go to church and and, and that's not what he means. He does not mean like he went to the temple and just something magical happened to him. Uh, the sanctuary of God, it's about what it represents. What it represents is the place of meeting with God. It represents the presence of God. So he's talking about coming into, yeah, I mean, yeah, he went to the temple, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is I went to the place where I meet with God in his presence. You might even say he submitted submitted himself to the presence of God. Because God's always present, right? It's just often we're not entering in. And so he says, I came into this place where I was in the presence of God. I was, I was there. And when I was in the presence of God, I got a whole different way of looking at life and a whole way of, of seeing my values differently. And so just three of them real fast to finish us off through the passage. Uh, first, he was given a new awareness of the destiny of the wicked. That's verses 18 through 20. A new awareness of the destiny of the wicked. He says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. In other words, he's like, I came into your presence, God, and I thought, oh yeah, man, that's right. They're just going to get judged. They get all this, but they're going to be judged. Their end is destruction. Trial comes and they just, they're knocked down in a moment. And I feel like I ought to say right here in this, this part of the sermon, like, maybe that's some of you. Just building this life, living how you want, putting God on a back burner can all go away in a moment. And in the end comes judgment. But don't misunderstand God's mercy and kindness to you right now as, as Him some kind of just sweeping under the rug all your sins. Like Now is the time of mercy. It's His kindness that's meant to lead you to repentance. 
So repent before you face him in judgment. He's given his son to save you. Believe in Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You can know the presence of God too. So Asaph, he gets this new awareness of the destiny of the wicked, but then second, he gets this new awareness of himself. This new understanding of himself in verses 21 through 22, he says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. So what he means here is, um, it's really vivid language. Basically, he's just saying, you know what? Animals are typically not interested in us for us. Do you know that, right? Like, we, I've told you we got a dog at Christmas, this, and so it's a great dog. We love him, Scout. He's beautiful. He's great. He just loves to be with us, and he plays with us, and he wants to be in our presence. He always wants to be with, he wants to be close to us, you know, but, but you, we know what's really going on. Like, he likes us because of what we do for him, right? Like, we scratch the head, and we rub the belly, and we throw the ball, and we feed him snacks. I mean, why would he not love us? <laughs> And that's how dogs work. They love us for what we can do for them, while cats, on the other hand, have no love in them at all. It's just (laughs) how it works. Some of you, that's a revelation right there. You're like, really? Oh, I didn't know that. For others of you, you're testing the spirit of prophecy on me right now. But let's not get sidetracked here. Asaph is saying, listen, in my sin, I'm like a beast. I am an animal. This is how I treat you in my sin, Lord. I'm only interested in what you can do for me. That's That's what we are in our sin. It's not about God's goodness. It's not about how amazing he is. It's not about his presence. It's not about trusting him. It's not about his wisdom or his power. It's just, God, what can you do for me? That's the essence of sin. We're just like animals. We're not like the men made it, God, is, God made us to be. We're just instinctive animals, selfishly living. And then third and finally, he received a new awareness of God's goodness, right? Like this is the heart of this passage. It says, verse 23 through 26, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph is saying, you're always with me and there's no other gods beside you. You're the greatest treasure I could ever have. Coming into your presence, I remember, oh my goodness, this is how satisfied I am just with you. You are the best part of heaven and you're the best part of my life here on earth. It's your presence, God, I remember now. I get it again. And then I love in verse 26, let me just make this little note here for you. Verse 26 is, it might minister to some of you. He says that God is the strength of his heart, right? And so you might have a footnote in your Bible where it's, it's literally God is the rock of my heart. And I think that's really helpful because back in verse two, he was saying, man, I'm almost stumbling, I'm almost slipping. And then he gets in the presence of God and he says, oh yeah, here's my rock. Here's where my heart stands. Here's firm footing, It's back in the presence of God where he is my portion. Isn't that good? I just love that. It's like, oh man, that's that's so I need to hear. And so he ends verse 28, the nearness of God is my good. Man, such a good psalm. All right, let me, there are a lot of good lessons for us in this psalm, but I'm only gonna draw three for us here today. So let me just give you three lessons to draw, to focus on from this psalm. And the first one is this, get honest. Get 
honest. I told you how much I love Asaph in this psalm. He, he doesn't dress up his sin. He doesn't spe- speak in vague generalities. Instead, he's just open. He's honest. He tells you, I envy their sleek bodies. How about that for a community group sharing night, right? Like, I'm here to tell everybody that I envy their sleek bodies. Now you have a passage to take someone to if they do share that, right? Like, oh yeah, I know a guy who had that same thing. So, <laughs> he's just really specific about his sin. I mean, he just tell, I, I, I ease, how, or I, I, I'm jealous of how easy their life is, how they're increasing in rich. I mean, he just names the specific struggles that he has and he brings it out into the light. And he's saying like, it's because of these that I am tempted to doubt God's goodness. Such as I envy him, I tempt to doubt God's goodness with all of this. And so I think Asaph is setting an inspired example for us. Like we just need to be very honest about our sin. And this taps back into the message from a couple weeks ago about confessing our sin. Like we just got to be honest about it. And so I got three questions to help you kind of bring out, see what sin might be in your heart and that you can get honest with God and with others about. And so Three questions here for, for inspection of yourself. One is, what is it that you are envying? Just drawn out of this text. What are you envying? What is it? Will you name it specifically? And then will you call it by what it is? A challenge to God's goodness in your life. What do you envy? Second question. Where are you, and this is drawn all from the text, I think. Where are you, where are you focused on your circumstances? rather than on your life in God. Because that was Asaph, right? He was just looking around. Everybody else has got all these things and I don't have them. Where are you focused on, Lord, if you would just change this or if you would just give me this or if you would just fix this or if you would just take this away? Where are you focused on that instead of your life in God? And the third final question is, where in your life are you like a beast toward God. Like a beast. I don't mean like beast mode, like you're like, oh, my devotional life is so intense right now, it's beast mode. Like I don't mean beast mode like that. I mean like in Psalm 73, you're like you're just an instinctive selfish animal caring about what God can do for you, not given really much care about it's all about God. It's all about, like, man, just as an aside, I mean, have you ever thought, like, you know, sometimes we're tempted, probably none of you are, but but I've heard it said that sometimes people, you know, come into a Sunday service and, and they can leave and be like, eh, I didn't really like that song. Did you ever think maybe the song's not about you? Right? Like, we come here first to worship because he is great. He is worthy. He deserves the glory. But we can make it about us. Living in the presence of God helps us to begin to see things as they really are and helps us to get honest about it. 
But we don't stay there. We keep going. We move on. We get honest, but that's just the beginning because we also need to, number two, draw near. That's what we see him doing here. Draw near. Um, This is what we see in verse 17. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. He drew nearer to God. Even though it was hard for him, even though he was struggling, even though he's weary trying to understand it, he drew near to God. And then James 4, 8, God drew near to him, right? Because it's the promise of God. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And so, Uh, This is where it's just, listen, the spiritual disciplines are so important in our lives. I mean, they're just so essential, right? Like this is not Christianity 101. This is Christianity all the time. And we see this right here. Like first in verse 17, we see that he went to the sanctuary of God. And I know I made a big deal earlier about how that represents the presence of God. And it does that. But it is actually going to church. Like that's what he did. He went to the temple where they sang and they heard the word preached and, and uh, they prayed. And so, you know, one way we draw near to God is by coming to church every single Sunday. Good job. You got one done. Like go home, like you're, you're part of the way done this week, you know, and I'll, you just start again next Sunday. Like, be here because here is where God loves to reveal himself. But another thing I see in this passage, verse 18, his language shifts. All of a sudden he starts using, like he's talking to God. So he's not just recounting how his heart works, but now he starts saying, you make them fall and you do this and you are with me and you guide me. So I just see this like prayer language beginning here. We're now, instead of talking about what was happening and kind of describing it, and like now he's engaged with God. Now he's praying through this. Now he's, he's praying without ceasing. He's working through all this. And so we've got to be people of prayer. And then and in verse 24, we read, you guide me with your counsel. What is his counsel? But his word. And so we've got to be people of the word, and we've got to be in the word. We've got to be reading the scriptures. We've got to be in the Bible. And so I think, you know, it's like I know, everybody's like, I know this, Jace. I know these things, but, you know, it's just not working for me. I just, I just don't, it's just not working. And so if that's you, here's, here's where I want to help, maybe try to help you with this. You might have forgotten that the spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. Okay, it's really easy to make them, make them be the means and as if that were the end, but they're a means to an end, right? Like, you don't just read your Bible. What, what's the point of reading your Bible? Is the point of reading your Bible just to read your Bible? Not a trick question. No, no. Here's another one. I'll lob it to you. Ready? Is the point of prayer just to list off a bunch of needs? Excellent. Yeah, right. That's right. Wait. Is the point of reading your Bible just to know more of the Bible? No. It's all about knowing God. It's all about drawing near to the Lord. And so when the spiritual disciplines quit, when they're not a means to the end of being with God, being near to God, knowing God, well, then they're just drudgery. That's what we talk about. Then there's duty. Then they're just law. Then they're just hardship. Then they're just draining instead of, but when they are getting us to God, when they're drawing us nearer to him, then they're life and they're delight and you long to do them. And so my encouragement to you would be see them as a means to an end and then come into them expectantly. Come into them wanting to meet with God at church and eager to meet with him in his word and believing that he's close to you in prayer. Come into them full of faith. Amen? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, can, um, oh, I have so much I want to say and so little time to say it in. Okay.
Uh, let me condense a page into a paragraph here. So the other thing I wanted to just point out in this passage, and just I won't go down to the rabbit trail, that I want to go down, verse 23, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. I just want to say there, is, and this is under the point of drawing near stuff, I see in that something very similar to what Paul talks about in Galatians 5, about being led by the Holy Spirit, walking with the Spirit, yielding to His influence in your life. Same thing he says in Ephesians 4 about being filled with the Holy Spirit, same idea. And so what I want to draw out here is a whole other part of drawing near to the Lord throughout your day and not just in these concentrated moments of church and, and prayer and, uh, and, 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 and being in the Word, but... But there's just something about walking with God all day long. I think it's what Paul means when he says pray without ceasing. Just continual communion with the Lord. And so you're in two places at once, really, right? Like you're, you're doing the chores of the day. You're doing what you have to get done. You're doing the work. You're doing the business. You're doing the homeschooling. You're doing the parenting. You're doing the chores, whatever. But you're also doing the practice, the discipline of trying to commune with God through it all, trying to talk with him, trying to hear him, trying to yield to his influence, trying to listen to what he says you should be doing next or what you should say. So it's this continual, what he says right there, continually with you, you hold my right hand. Okay, third thing I just want to say, third lesson here, third, third lesson, get honest, draw near, be satisfied. Be satisfied, man. This is like, you know, you can't just work to make the, the, the really fancy meal and the great meal and like just be like, oh, I made this steak and I made this asparagus and I made this big potato, it's gonna be so good and then you just lay it all out there and you're just like, ah, look at that. Like, no, then you gotta eat it. <laughs> right, and so that, that's, so all of that is so that you can get here and be satisfied with the Lord in his presence. Like that's what he comes back to. That, that's what this verse is all, you know, it's, it's, this is all about the deep soul satisfaction that comes from being near him. The psalmist says, you are continually with me. You hold my right hand. You guide me. You will receive me to glory. You are my greatest desire. You are my strength and my rock. You are my portion forever. So for me, it's good for me to be near to the Lord because he's all these things to me. He's so good. And so I just want to be near to him. I just want to know his nearness. It's a safe, satisfying place. And so the illustration that came to my mind with this was uh, my son Caleb. He's four years old, and um, his bedroom in our house is, is directly diagonal from mine and Jenny's. Okay, and so I don't know when it was a while back. He, he started in this thing where it's like he always wants his door open and, and our door open, right? Like, and so, Dad, can you keep our, my door open and your door open? And, and, and it's because he can see us, right? And, uh, and Caleb, oh, my goodness, he takes forever to go to sleep. Like, he just stays in his room forever singing and sneaking toys into his bed. And I tell you, it's like, good, good night, go to sleep. Um, and so this is what Jenny and I continually hear through the evening. Hey, Dad. And I say back, hey, bud. 
And then, hey, mom. <laughs> She'll say, hi, Caleb. And then this is totally, if you don't know Caleb, you should grab him after church and he'll do it within two minutes of talking to you. He just does, he's got this like cackle laugh kind of thing. Like, he's like, <laughs> I can't do it justice. It, it, but it's like pure joy with like a good amount of mischievousness mixed into it. <laughs> and so he does that, you know, after we greet him and, and there's just like, oh man. And so for a long time, I thought this was like a joke. You know, this is just his way of entertaining himself because he's bored and he's fun, you know, he's having fun and hi dad, hi bud, you know, and we got to do this a few times. And sometimes I even get annoyed, like, oh my goodness, just go to sleep. No, we're talking, you know, kind of thing. And eventually, I realized what was going on. Jenny probably explained it to me. I don't remember, but she probably understood before I did. But eventually, I understood. He just wants to know we're there. And he wouldn't... Basically, what's going on in his heart is he's just saying, the nearness of my dad is my goodness. The nearness of my mom is my goodness. And that's why he laughs. He's so safe, and he's so secure, and he's near us, and it's just a delight to him. And that's what God wants for all of us, just to be near. And so I just want to close by asking, do you know what you have in God? You have one who so desperately wants to be near you that he gave up his son so that he could have a relationship with you, so that he could make you his friend and his child, and so that he could walk with you, and so that he could be in your presence forever. You know what you have in God? Do you know how committed He is to you in love? Do you know the good plans He has for you to prosper you? Do you know how willing He is to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death? The Lord is my shepherd. Listen, do you, do you that song, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's it. If I got God, what else do I need? Do you realize all that you have in the Lord so that all who have put their faith in Christ, the Apostle Paul can say, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And because of this, because that's who our God is, we can say, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God. That's my good. And He is good. He's good to draw us near to Him. He has been all day today. And He will be this week when you go with Him. Let me pray for that. Lord, thank You for drawing us in to Your presence today. Through the singing, through encouragements in the ministry, Mike, through Your Word, Lord, through the fellowship of Your saints. And God, we believe... Uh, you send us out and you say, you know, go make disciples of all nations and I will be with you. So even when we leave here today and we go out on mission into this world, you are with us. 
But God, I pray for everyone who will receive this word with faith today and draw near to you this week. They will find that you are true to your word. Every word of God proves true. If we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So God, may we all come in next week with testimonies of the work of God in our life, the nearness of God being our good. And may we gather next week even more hungry for more of you than we came in this week. Because you are infinitely good, Lord, we will never fully be satisfied. There is delight in the hunger. Taste and hunger. Taste and hunger. Taste and hunger. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.